Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Design Executive Club Town Hall. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design, and joining me is a panel of uh, some of the smartest people I know in the Asian market. We're going to talk today about new possibilities and the provocation of what is beyond zero. Um, we know that most of the G20 countries, thank except you, Australia, man. thank you to our Prime Minister, um, will, have, will be at uh, net zero carbon emissions yeah. by 2050, or in the case of um, China, 2060, and that we're seeing that that's just a compliance uh, schedule now. What do we do beyond that? And what are the projects that could be enabled because we have more energy than we need to go use? Could we actually clean up some of the, the sins of the past? Could we enable some new technologies and new economic opportunities? Julie, I'm going to get you to um, join me here and let's have a little conversation about the idea that it's not going to be a smooth path to go get there. There's probably some readiness things that we have to go look at. What do you think are some of the first things we need to get in order so that we can even imagine uh, something as ordained? says beyond zero. I think there are a few issues that are outstanding today. I mean, obviously, COVID is an immediate problem that we have that I think we need to deal with um, in order to move forward on many, many fronts. And I think this is the reason why a lot of people are rushing to China right now, because they've domestically been able to get COVID pretty much under control, and they've had an incredible repair to their own domestic and internal economy so that they're able to push forward in a more normal what in the old-fashioned, normal fashion that we're used to and the rest of the world hasn't responded so well or in many cases hasn't responded as well and been able to pull their economies back together. So I think that's kind of a very immediate issue that everyone's grappling with. And thank God for the vaccine. So I think the repair is going to happen on that front much sooner than we'd all envisioned even six months ago. I think there's a lot of political divisiveness that needs to be tackled right now. We're seeing it all over the all over the world. It's popping up in many, many different places. As an American, I'm very thrilled that Biden was finally made the official uh, president-elect in the United States yesterday. I thought that was really brilliant and about time. But even then, after that happens, there's a there's an awful long way to go. And I think we're hopefully we're going to move from a stage of political divisiveness to political consensus in order to help the world move ahead in a more smooth fashion. We've got all of our economy to deal with. I think that's a, a huge barrier and where we're going. And um, as you pointed out earlier, the whole idea of our, our media, particularly our social media, is uh, really feeding, I think, both the political and the economic side of those things. Mm. We also have an awful lot of social injustice to overcome and to, mm. to heal, I think, which is another part of this divisiveness that's going on. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of issues that we need to tackle along the way. And I have a hard time picturing what life will be like after 2050, simply because I think so much will happen over the next 30 years that it's going to just take us with, between technology and culture and social issues. I think we're going to, as we solve all of these things and resolve all of these things, new opportunities are going to open up to us that we can't even imagine at this point. Yeah, and and so I think I think you're right. It's very difficult to imagine what a 2050 or 2060 world will look like. But what we do when we actually set these huge goals is that we take forward some values and we make sure that we've made some decisions which we're going to be proud of in the future rather than regretful. And so the idea of, um, say, 
I think of um, uh, Stephen with some of the Hyatt projects that you've got on. Are you making decisions which are actually um, from a selection of materials have been the most um, environmentally um, appropriate materials that you could have from the amount of construction waste that's coming off a site? Have you worked on that in the best way? We can do that, but you've got to have that vision of what the future is. Otherwise, you just say, oh, we'll do whatever we want. So, Stephen, I wonder there for, for yourself with uh, with the Hyatt build-out project, Project program that you've got. Are there underlying, you know, future vision state values that are driving your decision making that are helping, you know, the beyond zero position? Or is it that it's more that there's a few people who hold those values or their corporate values? Well, from a corporate level, we, you know, we we taking some moves in terms of from operation and design construction. You know, we've been pushing the initiatives to reduce plastic bottles, uh, you know, moving to large format amenities, putting in water stations so that we no longer, you know, put in the little bottle, plastic bottle water. You know, but all, all those are, are good initiatives that we, we are looking at, but they, they are just really small part of the of the big picture, right? But if you if you look at the overall construction industry, which is you know, closer to what you know, my department worked on. In some way, we have very little leverage on pushing for uh, a better environmental uh, conscious uh, constructions and waste management, you know. So all that really, really needs the government, uh, whether it's local or from a G20 standpoint, setting goals and setting directions and requiring them to follow the proper construction methods, you know, reducing waste and how to uh, not be wasteful. And, and, you know, taking China as an example, in the last couple of years, they the government put out programs to, not in the construction, but telling people to not to waste food. You know, it's very common that when you go to China and you see people at a buffet restaurants, which we run, and they will all like go out and grab you know, plates and plates of food and put it in the middle to share and they never finish. So now the government, some local governments even find that in a few of the large cities, they already have been implementing no more giving out toothbrush and shaving cream and all that stuff in the room. You have to request that when you check in. So that is really to reduce waste from people hoarding those stuff, like stealing them and taking home and then they are not using them. And so just reducing. And I found that it's so important to push it from a government level. And this is what China can be quite amazing in that way. When someone says something, they get it done. And I think that's something that I feel makes a, even a much bigger impact than we go into like one hotel after another trying to implement, you know, water stations or uh, waste reductions. And we have successful examples of some hotels even implementing composting system. Our Grand Hyatt Singapore has a very well-established you know, food waste management. So they, they collect all the food and you know, have it become compost and in our own car parking area and then that turn into uh, fertilizers for, for, for our organic garden and all that. But but that's just a really small, and I think government big directions is really important and that really be able to move the needles. And, and so you brought up a really interesting point there about the construction projects and the power that comes when there's government regulation requires certain standards. And you know, I think, uh, Stefan, I'm going to ask you about this in some of the projects because quite a few of the projects that, that 
that you've been doing have been for government clients. Do they bring in the procurement process? Do they bring in standards about how much waste is acceptable waste? You know, what sorts of construction, execution and build models are appropriate for them? Or are they yet to focus on where those opportunities, similar to throwing out the waste, wasteful food, where those opportunities are in the construction world? I think there has been... Uh a momentum to try to make the construction industry more environmentally conscious. And um, I mean, it starts off with accreditation of buildings, right? So, um, and that starts from the construction process, how to deal with waste, construction waste, how to construct without impacting on the environment too much and the surroundings, how to uh, integrate uh, sustainable uh, principles into the buildings. And so there is an overall accreditation system, which, which means the buildings the buildings are more sustainable in some form. I do think that, you know, now MIC is a big topic, uh, modular construction, mm-hmm. um, facade systems have been kind of, um, in, in Hong Kong, for example, they have been um, exempted from the GFA calculation so that, that you get some extra benefit. In fact, developers in Hong Kong get, when they follow all these um, sustainable requirements, they get an extra bonus in GFA. They get 10% extra GFA if they fulfill those criteria. Some not so easy to meet. Um, there, there's issues about green coverage, uh, permeability, you know, the wind must be must be able to pass through the building and all of this. Which is all fine, I think. That's uh, that's good. But to me, uh, sustainability starts um, at a different level. I, 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 I may have I may have uh, talked about this before, and that's to do with much bigger picture thinking, uh, city making thinking. You know, like we've been influenced by particularly London and Hong Kong. They are quite similar in terms of land take. They are quite similar in terms of uh, population. While Hong Kong takes up 25% of land and the rest uh, is either country parks or mountains and London is basically scattered out across the whole uh, area. So in terms of carbon transport footprint, Hong Kong is a good model. And I think that that sustainable thinking must start at at a planning, at a city planning. Like, for example, transport energy in a city, that's about 30% of the consumption of a city. And in in Hong Kong, their car ownership quite low because the public transport is actually very efficient. So, but but when you you look at it, of that 30% uh, consumption, about, uh, I don't remember the exact figure now, but 5% or so goes into the metro, uh, into the public transport systems and about 80 percent is in cars even though we only have 10 percent car mm-hmm. so if we can come up with more sustainable models and better public transport i think that will make a big contribution to energy consumption and and reducing the carbon transport footprint i, I think that's that's where the thinking should start and i feel from our experience that has happened and and uh not only in Hong Kong, in China, I think this has also been embraced in many instances. For example, there's a new district being built in Shenzhen called Chennai, and there the transport systems were really put in first, the public transport systems and also the infrastructure, the M&E infrastructure, all of this, so that, that you would create a very, hopefully, a people-centric public realm so people can walk. It's quite a walkable district. It's meant to become a walkable district, quite dense, so that you create densities around the transport nodes and hence increase the efficiency of the public transport system and at the same time also the convenience so uh, so i think i think that is something which we can still improve a lot and it's i see in the future also with automated vehicles maybe and electric vehicles and all of this that there can be another leap when hopefully the consumption of cities can be put a bit more in check
Yeah, and and I think what's really interesting that you're bringing up about the density models for um, for cities and how that fits in from a sustainability perspective, you know, that's another level of thinking. There's how do we actually deal with the quick wins of the waste that we've got at the moment? Those processes. How do we build into the system that there's more? Recently, we um, presented the London Design Awards, and one of the projects that was in there was a uh, a pop up display that was actually about living. On Mars, and, and what's really interesting when you're living on Mars, where you have to carry everything there, you want to make the built space as efficient as possible. You want to have the um, the waste heat that's coming out from the building that that's then got a secondary effect. So those imaginative products or uh, projects that are about living on Mars can help then reflect on how do we go do things here more efficiently um, on planet Earth or the first planet, as some people like to say. Ping, I want to go across to you and, ha- and have a bit of a chat when we last caught up to with you you were talking about just the the scale of the projects that you had and I, I was blown away that how many square meters of both uh, retail and 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 mixed residential that uh, that you had there with the mandates that are coming from Beijing about 2060 are you noticing that there's changes in those build programs and there's changes in the way it's been sourced because we we see quite a lot of wellness projects in the awards out of China and so it says to me that wellness is a very important thing. So wellness and environment sustainability, you know, there's a chain there. How's that changing for you? Or are you yet to see that through, flow through because these projects were initiated before those new policies? Actually, quite, um, I have to say, <laughs> inspired by the discussion that other people threw out for, for this topic. Yes, I am working on quite a lot of huge projects. And actually, I want to, you know, can I, can I start in from something? From yeah, something? please. And, and so yes. I'm, I'm just starting wanna, with something. You go with yes. it. I want to compare, you know, uh, Hong Kong and China because uh, I decided to come back and I probably won't go back to Hong Kong for, for a long while. Because uh, this quarantine, you know, policy and caused so many problems. And, and most of my projects are in um, China and still on at least not fast, but at least normal uh, track construction and design process. What I felt is uh, in China side, everything is fast still comparing uh, with what happened in Hong Kong. And uh, Stephen uh, also mentioned about it. And also everything's so convenient. <laughs> so I think this convenience uh, for people, you know, for people here, living here uh, has caused a new lifestyle or working style that they, they, they chasing for fast speed for everything more and more. <laughs> for design, for living, for food, uh, delivering, it's, everything's like that. And also Taobao uh, gives a lot of uh, like um, possibility for people, you know, to get what they need in a much, you know, bad, uh, good budget comparing uh, the living in Hong Kong. So, uh, but also it brings me concern about this um, environment issues, as everybody has mentioned also, because the they, they recycle the plastic bottles, but they don't recycle those plastic box for food. And this caused such a huge, like a waste. Uh, I've seen, because my, I myself, I also ask, uh, you know, food delivering, like from internet. I don't cook uh, anymore. <laughs> I don't cook at all. And every lunch where our people will spend, will many, many uh, of our staff actually buy food from, you know, like from delivering which is very convenient. But this waste, this environment, like uh, impact caused by these deliverings actually really make me concerned. And we did a 
very simple things that we want to, uh, we actually give people uh, chopsticks and uh, spoons. So we arrange to uh, to make, uh, to give our staff every uh, set of such a thing. So they at least don't have to order chopsticks and uh, spoons from from this delivering anymore. What I feel is in the next 10 years, China will be still in lead for the, you know, the economy uh, development in the, in the first lead, maybe the, uh, in terms of speed, comparing the rest of the, the world, maybe still another 10 years. But after 10 years, what will happen? Which one, which economy body, you know, the, the, the biggest, you know, fast development uh, economy, uh, economy uh, body it will be in the in the world, which one, which country? I'm not sure. China will will do that again because the source the sources is so overspended, and um, because of this population, you know, the huge population, it make the economy grow faster, but it also cause great impact on the environment. Mm. So I'm actually quite concerned what will happen, you know, ten years later in China. What what will happen then? And also many, many cities has, have already been overdeveloped. There's so many uh, houses and uh, um, residential buildings or whatever buildings have been overbuilt and over being <laughs> uh, that needed. This is the same. So actually what I feel is 10 years later, maybe China will get slowed down. And also the, gen- the next generation, my daughter and my like my don't my daughter's like uh, those children born after the zero zero after the nineties they they are they are in different philosophy than our generation we we these people we're still looking for uh, looking forward to uh, to big income to big uh, result to to make to get rich but those those generation they are they are not having the same philosophy they're not chasing that much anymore. <laughs> But uh, yes, like my daughter, they're thinking different things. They wanted to slow down. They wanted to chase whatever what they in their life, the meaningful things for their life. So what I felt is maybe after ten years later, when the new generation grow up, when they dominate the industry, they will have a different philosophy. They probably will turn to more environmental concern, you know, uh, directions. Even that will change the whole attitude, the whole society to our industry. That's why if looking for our industry, then our people will not, perhaps then, we're doing more, you know, um, uh, renovation than, or, or how to say, uh, cultural or education or protection rather than new aggressive development. So I think that's, that will be a uh, changing in 10 years later. So if 10 years later, the whole, <laughs> the, the industry will be different like this, if you're talking about 30 or, or, or 20 years later, I, I think maybe the whole world will be different, will be totally different than what we are having now. So if talking about the industry then, and people will, will probably reduce their need for the environment. They, they, they're demanding for for environment, for the for the earth, and for the industry. So that's what I felt in by then. Probably I won't be in the industry anymore. <laughs> Thirty years later, I will definitely retire. <laughs> I would hope to see you know the whole world is changing and people are doing caring, doing more rather than damaging and demanding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you've hit on some really good points there. Um, Corinne Sukup from uh, Collins in San Francisco, that she was reflecting in a previous town hall on 
the idea that we actually look down to the leaders of the future rather than look up to the to the current leaders, and that there's a lot of power in that. As you spoke about, well, what will your daughter and um, what will her world be? And you know, we we know that in economic models, that what you want to do is engage with ascending economic power, not plateauing and not decreasing. So, in 20 years' time. Um, a couple of us on the call here may be in that descending period, whereas the children will be actually in the ascending period. And you're going, oh, that, that's a very interesting change that's going to happen there. So, um, Tegan, I want to bring you in here because the team at LW, you do lots of work which are about the internal experiences that people have inside spaces. And I was shocked uh, about two years ago, uh, CBRE told me that the average tenancy is a 18 months uh, for them. And I went, well, we really should be going to a hotel model because I'm sure the Hyatt has some people who have stayed in their hotels for 18 months on the on the trot. You know, if a business is only in a building for whether it's a hospitality business or whether it's actually a commercial office space, that's a temporary tenant. It's not a permanent tenant. You know, we're putting in marbles and we're putting in, in materials which are wet construction, but it's only needed for five years. That, that seems to me like you know, from a sustainability point of view, we're a little bit out of kilter there. What are you seeing in the spaces that you're building and the requirement for people for sustainable solutions? Yeah, um, that's a good point. Um, and I did want to sort of comment. So Stefan was talking about obviously the slightly bigger picture of um, that, you know, obviously clients now when they're building, they're getting sort of, I guess, points or sort of positive, I guess, accolades for having sustainability in the largest in the largest sort of scale of building construction. But I feel like what we're still not seeing at the moment is this idea of clients actually understanding that recycled materials can still be luxurious. So this idea that sort of on the ground level what we can incorporate into the interior design can be sustainable but still can be sort of a luxurious material that as you said can last for longer than 18 months so um, I think it's about changing people's perceptions about what luxury is um, what you can put into a property and perhaps this whole notion of, of using not everything needs to be stone it doesn't need to be sort of veneers that are you know sort of of, of trees that are basically almost extinct or you know that we can look to much more modern materials that are sort of recycled, reconstituted, and they can also be considered luxurious. And then I guess it's about looking at the time frame, as you said, for these sort of turnovers of property. You're right. I mean, 18 months is 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 quite a short lifespan. And it's, you know, it's obviously the amount of waste that goes into turning over, um, particularly, I guess, for um, for retail, um, you know, some of the restaurants in Hong Kong as well only sort of generally have a two-year lifespan. So it's also about looking at how much material goes into each property and then when it's sort of gutted or when it's returned back to the core and then turned over again, what, how much of that material can actually be reused and then how do we deal with the waste that's created from that sort of turnover? I saw in the London Design Awards in uh, uh, 2019, we had a, a project from Heathrow T4 and, uh, and it was interesting that that project there was they were working on how do they use digital signage to go and reshape the retail space but they were doing it on a flight-by-flight basis. And so the first store that I saw was a super dry store. And you're going, well, there's going to be, you know, graphics coming at you all the time, visual wallpaper or digital wallpaper. But then there was a Cartier shop next to it. And the Cartier shops had the same digital signage on the walls. 
but it was much more tastefully done. And when a flight was coming in from a Chinese language market, the graphics were all in Chinese. When it was coming in from an English uh, language market, it was coming uh, they then changed the visual display. And I went, this is very interesting if you go think that they've, they've considered how do they go get yield. And the motivation for doing it was actually about extraction and yield rather than the environment. But you got a secondary impact was that there was less merchandising, point of sale, cardboard, you know, heavily printed materials that were, were going into the shops. So it was that small intervention there. But I suppose what, what I've been really interested as I've heard from each one of you so far is it's actually the idea that there's small interventions, they're not necessarily 100-point um, Helvetica black. And so, Stephen, you want to um, add in a little bit here, but that to me is interesting. How do we get to the point where it's actually not the norm? It's actually it's mandatory that we have to go think this way. Well, you know, what he, what you guys were talking about in terms of CBRA research saying that the average tenant is like 18 months, which is actually, from for me, was a shock when I, I dabbled on corporate interior work for a little bit. I used to work in New York for a you know, pretty well-known corporate interior design firm. The, the one, well, a global firm, the, the one thing that, for example, in Hong Kong, the lease, in Asia, the lease is three years, three years. But in United, in New York, it's actually much longer. It's like a five to 10. So that's in itself greater systematic issues because your lease, you lock into a lease longer, your interior fit out would actually be used for 10 years, which is a little bit more reasonable. But in Hong Kong and most of the Asia, it's like three years. People, before you even finish clearing, like warming up your office space, you're already moving to another space. And from that world, I see a lot of ways. Yeah, it's great for the agent. Um, it's great for the landlord to keep raising the rent and uh, making fee out of these transactions. But then if we focus on in terms of waste and being responsible to the environment. And I think that's that goes back to sort of a, a systemic issues, whether it is a government or a whole industry needs to really uh, look at that. And I think that's, yeah. And, and I think Ping's point about you know, the future generation is different. I think that's very true even for like really for us, and a lot of the time when we're designing hotels, we're still making assumption based on current information. Mm. But we never be truly able to predict what the future generations will be looking for in their traveling, you know. So, and that's, it, it's very difficult for, for the sort of, you know, big corporations in general to, to suffer. It's a lot of efforts to really trying to tap into your future. And you know, who knows what's the future? Like I can't even, you talk about 2030, I can't, like 2050, I can't, I can't think beyond two weeks. I literally cannot think beyond two weeks. And, I'm one day at a time kind of person. And so that's that's where values and goals are such an important right. thing because it's you know we need an anchor which is by the time we get to twenty fifty we want this zero and we all need to commit to that and right. then we need to realize how far behind we are so so they're really important things. Ping, I know that you mentioned that you're 
you know, what will be the, the future there. And the one thing I can recommend that for your daughter, get her into the recycling of lithium batteries out of electric cars, because in 20 years' time, there's going to be a flood of electric car batteries, first generation, second, third generation batteries that we need to go deal with. And they're going to be as toxic as any other form of you know, energy storage waste product that we have out there. So we, we know what some of those things are, Stephen. We know where we know that there's some future debt that we've got and that we need to go sort that out. And so so there's one thing which is how do you go deal with future debt? And the other one which is how do you go build future opportunity and future resources? And I think Stefan, you were talking there about, well, we can avoid future debt by turning around and actually making the the built space that we it's using the intelligence we know about efficiency and then the ratios of built space to, to natural space in there. They're important things to go do. Ping, I think in your world, the idea of being able to actually push the, it's the wellness factor that's in there because wellness is something that people want in an ascending middle class. That's what they want to achieve. The idea of being sustainable and green, I'm not sure people want to do that, but they want wellness. You have to have sustainable and green to get wellness. You know, there's that we know how to go and actually drive these agendas here. Ping, I know that you mentioned um, uh, in the previous um, time that you're on that some of those retail spaces that the outer tenancies that were closer to the natural air had had changed in their desirability. You know, it used to be it was where the main traffic flow was. In comes COVID. Nobody wants to be in traffic flow anymore. The ones that were closer to open air all of a sudden had a different interest from from letting tenants. And that's an interest and that's a wellness play for me. You know, that's a, if I go think of the Musea project out on Kowloon and I look at that and you go, it, the density of the traffic is probably where the highest uh, rents are, but actually on the periphery where, and I think it was, uh, it was one of the watch brands uh, and they had this beautiful view that went out into the harbour and you were a little bit off the main concourse and you're going, that's probably where I want to be. It felt fresher. It wasn't as busy. Are you seeing that change come around that people are trying to buy future wellness or are they still just trying to go by the cheapest now? It's hard to get a conclusion, uh, yeah. frankly, because still I see in China uh, different people, their habit of like uh, the, for different consumers from different cities or different backgrounds actually have a different pattern. So because China is such a huge, you know, population and uh, and and the, the variety of the, the background of these people are different. So they, they actually, they appear to have a really different pattern for these things. The few, the, some people would have a really big loan to for spend money, like spending their future money. And some people would be, tends to be conservative. And you see the richness of very rich people sometimes appear really annoying <laughs> when they're, when they're uh, I would. I, it's quite hard, you know, to get a, a conclusion. But for the project I am doing, there's also a dramatic um, changing for the, uh, you know, the um, the tenant. The tenant for like a clothes for other like a uh, how to say daily use uh, items for these things. People tends to be more and more like a shopping on the internet and. The project I am doing now, they, they have difficulty to, you know, to recruit the tenants for, for such things, for clothes, for, but it's very easy for F&B. So I think in future for such, you know, our, even our project, what we are doing, there will still be more and more F&B and sceneries and, you know, sort of like a, a space for there to, to hang on. For those tenants, there will be more, you know, more such 
tenants coming in. And for like daily, uh, like uh, uh, clothes, such items, there will be more and more on the internet, especially after the COVID. Everybody tends to shop on the internet. For mm. So this, I think there will be changes on such pattern, even for building, for architecture development. People could, in future, I would say F&B would be oh, other experiment, you know, uh, like um, uh, consumptions, like uh, the that where they have to visit such tenants will be or such mix uh, treat mix will be more and more in such uh, in our you know the, the big mix use development yeah the experience experience yes. consumption would be probably the most important so it goes into thinking you know you mentioned about fmb wellness would be a, a big part and um, educational something that face needs to become more meaningful not just from an aesthetic perspective that is cool you know whatever is cool and pretty only sort of attracts you for the first couple of times yes. right but but the overall experience would still be very yes. important so, so it's almost like in, in the architectural mixed-use development, it's no longer just how much office space I can put in, but you know, what's that space, how it is actually interacting with the outside um, and connecting. Those are all very becoming very important. And I think in China, I think Ping and, and Stefan probably has more experience on that. You know, from from you know, we get involved in some of the mixed use projects. And sometimes when we look at it, you know, it's a lot more sophisticated when we work with you know, guys like you guys put forward a, a good master planning plan that really thought through these things. But on the flip side, we we also have come across a lot of uh, local, maybe local designer or, or you know, certain countries are still developing and they completely still didn't get this whole, the importance of experience uh, in, in, in the development. Yeah. There's a changing tendency of such, um, like, uh, such tenants. So every, everything, I think in future, maybe all these shops of, like, uh, clothes, especially some local designer, you know, fashion shops. Actually, I saw really few people are visiting them. And uh, I think they were facing the, yeah, the fate of closing down the actual shops, but turns to being on the internet. Yeah. So that's change the architectural space uh, we are doing. So well, this is the most recent changes for the, uh, yeah, for this. So I think by time, the li- uh, the lifestyle, living style, and you know, people, the, the pattern of shopping, all, all, uh, all changes in the next five years. That is foreseeable. Yeah. Julie, um, I think that, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to respond to that. You know, I think it would be, in a way, it would be a bit of a shame, I think, because I believe that in our cities, the, the kind of streetscapes and the high streets and the avenues and that is what we really enjoy. And we, we actually quite like to walk uh, along a shopping street and look into windows and see what's available right, without necessarily buying it there, maybe. But but I think this variety of what you can see when you go in the streets is, is really enhancing our experience. I'm not sure. I hope that people don't give up on that. You know, I, I th- yes, internet is tempting, um, uh, but uh, but ultimately, don't you want to feel and see what you buy as well? And uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's, I think that's I, right. You know, that's different from Hong Kong and China. That's why I wanted to see this is this could be a tendency, because China is getting so inconvenient and right. so everything you can get from shop from internet, even like a. The La Mer, the, the international brand, 
they all have uh, internet uh, flagship. Yes, yeah, so of course you can look around, but people tend not to shop in the actual shop anymore. The problem, the problem is when you are chasing this coming showroom, basically. Yeah, we even have we 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 have actually. Go ahead, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. I I I agree with you. I still visit people still visit the mixed-use shopping center. All these things not because they wanted to. Shop there. They look. They probably look. Oh, they they will see. Oh, I've seen this in the in the internet. If they wanted to fail, how is it like? They probably go have a look, and then they could still go back shopping on internet. They go to the in shopping center because they wanna they wanna karaoke. They want F and B. They want meet friends. They want experience, as you said. Mm -hmm. So the space will be changing. Even you have extra shop. The, the, I I really seriously doubt how much return they can get from that extra shop, but still they get from the internet. So of course. The lifestyle will be different for the older generation. I'm. I have to say, I'm the kind of people who wanted to, you know, spend some time hanging around as well. But I probably will not go to a mixed-use shop to see the every shop that I can see anywhere else. But I would <laughs> visit a tourist spot and an old village. But they they will have their handmade things. You know this. That's why I'm saying the standard shops mixed use will be changing in the future. <laughs> okay, so I want to I want to go into a conversation with Julie and I have had before, and I think Julie, you'll need to come off mute here. The in the United States, we've seen the death of the shopping mall. You know, where there were shopping malls, they had a tenanted life, and then behaviour changed, and then they've gone. But we, we're seeing in high dense urban areas around uh, around transportation, around entertainment districts that those places are, are, they have good footfall, they have good return per square metre. You know, the earnings per square metre is is the rule of whether they stay there or not. Julie, you've been involved with lots of projects which are about people who are in in a hospitality stay, people who are after in a retail mis mixed resi environment. Are we starting to see that people are, that their behaviour is as they've got more time that they shop differently and when they've got less time, they're doing what Ping says, they're ordering online. But when they find a bit more time, often when they're staying at a lovely Hyatt hotel, that they turn around and that they then have more time to go shopping. Oh, that's a tough one because I think that's a generational issue too. I think Good. that you know, the people are going, yeah. definitely going to shop online just because it's simple. They can get stuff and they can return it. They can return it the same day they get it if they need to, if they get it home and they don't like it. So it's kind of like there's the experience of shopping which um, if you look at the difference, at least my perception of the difference between shopping malls in the U.S. and in China is the percentage of food and beverage in a shopping mall in China is much, much higher. As a matter of fact, I used to be shocked at how much of the you know square footage was allotted for restaurants in China. But that's all gets back to this experiential thing that both Ping and Stephen were talking about and uh, Stefan as well, that people want to go and they want to have an experience about what's happening there more so than the actual shopping. You know, it's kind of like, can they meet with their friends? Hopefully we can all meet with our friends again soon and have big company and big, um, you know, big social gatherings and that kind of thing. So I think it's all going to be more about the experience. And I, my bet is that after the experiential, we're going to move into transformational. And I think that that's kind of happening across the globe now is that people to travel at least you know, used to be you would travel to um, consume, you know, travel and buy and conspicuous consumption. You were just taking, 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 taking. Mm -hmm. And then everybody got a little bit more careful and they said they're going to curate 
their purchases. So they would go and they would buy the one item that they could come home and hang on their wall and show to all their friends rather than a slideshow of 50 slides and lots of tchotchkes that they'd bring back. And then now we see all the Instagram moments and everybody wants to record what those experiences are that they're having and share those experiences with everyone else. I think that's going to become shallow. It's becoming shallow now and people are looking for ways to travel that actually transform them or transform the things that happened around them, whether it's going and saving the gorillas in Africa, or um, I went to this place called the Modern Elder Academy earlier this year, which was all about going and spending a week, beautiful setting, beautiful hospitality venue, and um, spending time with other people talking about how to recraft your life. And, you know, it's all very interesting, but I think those kind of things are going to become even more evident as we move forward. So Tegan, um, by the way, if you did forget one thing, before the shopping mall, there was the shopping center, mm -hmm. which was an outdoor connector between all of the different shops. And um, interestingly, that started some of those abandoned shopping centers are getting new life breathed into them now that people want to be outdoor and uh you know, more involved in nature rather than being inside all the time. Yeah, and so so what we've got interesting there is that in a 50-year period that we've seen that, you know, those, that change has taken place, we know that most of these buildings that are going up haven't got the lifespan to go in the last 50 years, so they're going to be redeveloped or re-expanded in there. Tegan, I'm interested in, are your clients coming to you and are they planning malleable spaces that will give them the flexibility for this behaviour or a lot of, a lot of them actually got a set execution in mind and that they're bolting that in you know how much are they planning for a shift within the first five years or how much are they saying we've built what's right oh that, that's a tough that's certainly a tough question um <laughs> we, you know, we do have, I think a lot of the hotel operators in the last few years have made um, actually amazing sort of changes to their, their hotel briefs. And I think talking about having properties that are integrated with shopping malls and sort of um, transportation hubs and creating sort of large masters um, sort of planned areas. So that sort of makes you think that clients are sort of moving ahead with the times. But in terms of the actual spaces within the property, you know, I have seen a few operators that are now sort of suggesting that perhaps the lobby could also sort of transform into sort of the meeting space, which sort of could transform into perhaps um, a room that has projects um, sort of a cinema sort of type space or, you know, there's a couple of brands where they've tried to integrate a, a rock climbing wall in the in the lobby, for example, to make it more a space where their clients may want to um, sort of hang out with friends, I guess, or sort of stay within the property itself. But I would say generally, you know, sort of we haven't seen that big of a transition yet where, you know, spaces are transitioning for multiple purposes. I think particularly the meeting room space now has tried to become a lot more about instead of just, you know, this sort of notion of having large boardroom areas that we're sort of going to sort of more co-working spaces, some sort of small pods. Um, it's a much more sort of interactive area. But then you've still got large portions where there's areas like the ballroom you know we're still sort of looking at a ballroom that's only divided into two or three spaces and so we probably as designers need to look at more you know what can those ballrooms really be used for on the times when they're not being used for large-scale events so I think there's a lot of things that we can still do to certainly sort of I guess make the hotel property itself a lot more I guess transitional throughout so that it's much more user-friendly 
I think is the way to go. And I've been really, really fascinated with the, the the different comments that are coming up from everybody, and 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 the type of activity that you're involved in. You know, there's uh, Stefan, you you've been referring to the idea of something which has a much more longitudinal perspective because if you're working on transportation projects, then that transportation infrastructure is likely to be around for. 30, 50, or if it's the London Underground, 150 years, those tubes have been there. So, so there's that much, there's longevity there. Um, uh, Ping, I think you're looking at the what's, what's going to happen and is there a bad consequence which happens immediately or is it actually that there's a better consequence that, that happens immediately? Tegan, your world is actually in a, in a much shorter time frame there where people are saying we want this hospitality to work down. I think it's the same thing for you, Stephen, that there's you, you need to have a project that's finished and it needs to have a longitudinal perspective, but that's very different to the longitudinal perspective that Stefan's got. So so, and, and that's really important because every one of these is an opportunity to do something which is additive to a better future rather than subtractive to, to a planet where we've used too many resources and that we haven't made some great decisions in there. Julie, you... I, I, I want to correct you on one thing. I Please. think from a hotel opera perspective, operator perspective, I think our concern on the longevity of a project probably is beyond the group here because we have to run the hotel for 20 years. You know, okay. we will go through, at least that's, that would be our first contract. And then many of our hotels go through, you know, 40, 30, 40 years easily. So even during the process, we, we go through renovations and how we repurpose the space. And mm -hmm. right now when we, you know, sort of echoing what Tegan was talking about, we we look at spaces to be more multi-purpose, you know, leaving it as flexible as possible that we can do multiple different things, whether it is a short-term or long-term conversions. Um, so that's the part that I think, you know, we as an end, sometimes we, it's interesting, even though we look after constructions um, and design constructions, but we look after it in a way that we look at the longevity, what's going to happen 20 years from now. Is this, is this design, you know, a lot of the time mm -hmm. when we look at design, is this too much of a trend? And is this trend going to be sustainable? You know, we, we see a lot of sort of 70s, 80s materials coming back in, some of the motifs are coming back in. And we actually worry, we're not just because we are conservative, but we want to make sure that that's not just a fade. And then later on, two years from now, the green marble is starting to look old again. So I think you so, do have the right to be worried, Stephen. Right. I mean, so it's certainly trends are having a much shorter lifespan these days. Yeah, exactly. Like they, they, things turns around so quickly. So, and, and that's something that we, Again, going back to we don't want to waste and some and sometimes when I go back and look at some of our older high regency or grand Hyatt, the good thing was that they were designed in a way that is the architecture was so contemporary that I just need to go in and maybe change out the sofa, get a new carpet, repolish the wall, it still looked fresh. And I think that's something that, you know, you to in my perspective. It became a, a learning that we want. I want to make sure that the space ten years from now, when I do a renovation, I don't have to rip the whole things apart. And I think that's very important. And thank you for the clarification there, because I've probably been focusing more on those 
iterations of the, as I say, style-based versions that are in there. But a 20-year period, that you're in the same space as uh, public amenities, public transport in there, that you've got to keep really an industrial site going for much longer than a car factory would, much longer right. than a steel factory would have to go live. Um, so, so that's a very interesting future. I'm going to get to a wrap-up here because I think what we've been able to go do is say the idea of getting to beyond zero is it's a nice anchor into the future, but we still don't know what 10 years looks like. Ping knows that her daughter's going to be in the lithium recovery um, uh, business in, in 20 years' time, but that's about all we know out of this call here. Uh, I'm going to be like an auctioneer. Are there any final comments from anybody or are we going to bring this to a close? Put your hand up if you've got something you want to add, otherwise I'm going to close this out. There you go. You're all you're all done. You're all silent. That That's fantastic. Everybody, thank you so much. I'm humbled to go have your minds to help me go and explore explore what a better future might be to work out what Beyond Zero is. And this is the first of quite a few of these conversations. As you've seen, I was reflecting on previous conversations with Ping. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to come back and we're going to revisit this. We're going to find out how the lithium recovery factory is going. But, um, uh, you know, that'll take us quite a while till we get to that one. Thank you so much. And as you're going through your festive activities, um, I hope that you're having a wonderful time. For those of you that are away from family, um, I hope that works for those of you that are with family family, um, make sure you give them big hugs because hugs are a pretty hard thing to get these days. Thank you, everybody. Um, viewers, our next um, our program that we're going to be looking at will actually be in the new year. And uh, and that's a, a fantastic to think we're rolling over to 2021. And we're going to be talking about a thriving economy. To get a thriving economy, you've got to have social equity, you need to have a sustainable environment, and you have to have thriving economic factors. I look forward um, to seeing you then. Hope your new year is fantastic. We'll be back in 2021. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.